Well, amen and good morning to all. And we want to welcome you if you're live streaming with us. God bless you for tuning in this morning. I pray that you'll hear what the Spirit is wanting to say to you uh, because he's speaking to all of us all of the time. And uh, let those who have an ear hear what the Spirit is saying. And so, Father, we thank you for your word, Lord God, and what your word is, that it's not just a book, it's not just a bunch of words on a page, Lord God, but it's living and it's active and it's sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, judging the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. And Lord God, in that, you move us and you challenge us, you convict us, you encourage us. And so we surrender our lives to you this morning, Lord God, because like your word says, you are love and you are good and you have good in mind for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would just open the ears of the hearers. Help us to hear what your spirit is saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name, we commit this service to you. Amen. Well, there's so many voices contending for our allegiance And social media has opened up the avenues for communication like has never been opened before. And it's our responsibility to decipher this between the falsehoods and the truth. Because in all of this communication, there's a lot of different things being said. And a lot of people trying to win us over. And a lot of stuff on social media and uh, in our world, a lot of people pretending to be people that they're not merely for selfish gain. Police in Yarmouth say that James Stern was, he not only impersonated a pastor at the, at, of the gospel at a wedding, but he also in the process stole credit card information from the bridesmaids. Uh, Ashley Value and David Mellon say that they hired Stern after his business was given good reports on several websites. And uh, they're... They found out later on that their marriage wasn't official because he never registered and he never presented a marriage license to the city hall. Two weeks later, after the wedding, two bridesmaids reported irregular charges and unauthorized charges on their credit cards for purchases totaling thousands of dollars. When police began to investigate Stern, they found a lengthy criminal history in neighboring states and at least one act of warrant out for his arrest. But Ashley's attitude is quite amazing in the whole thing. She says, this man is forever in our photos and videos. You know, could you imagine? You're going to look at your photo album and you want to show it to your friends and family. It's like a blemish on a painting. It's like this beautiful painting, but if you've got a blemish on it, that's where the attention goes. And so they're going to look at their beautiful photo albums, their videos, and here this guy's always in it, and the story's going to come up every time. Scripture says, be sure your sins will find you out. And Stern is now serving time for his crimes that he committed. And we're probably more aware today than we've ever been about people posing to be someone whom they're not, all to take advantage of innocent, unsuspecting people. And these imposters, they are no respecter of persons. Doesn't matter the age, whether they're young or they're old, or whether they're male or female, they'll take advantage if they can get the chance to do it. An interesting statistic says that 35% of all Canadians were taken advantage in this way in this past year. And we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians this morning, and what we see is the Apostle Paul is very concerned about what's happening in the church. 
Most concerning to Paul was the presence of false teachers who entered the church claiming to be apostles. They promoted their own ideas and at the same time they sought to discredit both the person and the message of the apostle Paul. Second Corinthians was written to defend the authenticity of both the apostleship of Paul and his message. And we will never find out who these opponents were, but there was no disputing the fact of the havoc that they reached in the Corinthian church and the heartaches that they brought to Paul. The final four chapters of 2 Corinthians is a defense of his apostleship and a denunciation of those who opposed him and Christ. And above all else, Paul's identification with Christ marks this letter. His affirmation to the Galatians when he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, is graphically portrayed in the last four chapters of 2 Corinthians. Paul did not feel threatened, and he didn't feel like he needed to better himself to compete with those who were working to undermine his apostleship. No, because he knew who he was. He was the real deal. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he knew where he stood with the Father. And instead of worrying about that someone was going to take his job, he confidently spoke to the issue, saying, but I will continue to do what I have always done. I will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised even Satan distinguishes himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Like James Stern impersonating a pastor in the 21st century, the Apostle Paul was confronted here in the first century with the same spirit. The primary purpose of this letter to the Corinthians was to prepare the church for Paul's visit. The letter was penned at a difficult time between Paul and the Corinthians, and Paul communicated thankfulness and relief because of this crisis at Corinth had somewhat subsided. Moreover, Paul uh, wrote to them concerning the collection that he wanted to gather for the church in Jerusalem. Paul exercised extraordinary vigor in declaring his role and authority as an apostle. His opponents the so-called super apostles, had challenged Paul's apostolic status and leadership. In return, Paul's authenticated his apostolic calling and ministry. The self-portrait of Paul is one of the most captivating features of this letter. It gives invaluable information about who Paul was and what Paul was all about. You know, so we're going to look at some of the attributes of a true apostle and what, what the apostle Paul said, and we can see these attributes in his letter to the Corinthians. He knew that he could draw comfort and encouragement from the Heavenly Father. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He, comes, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God gave us. Paul was victorious in Christ. But thank God, he says, he made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. And now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like sweet perfume. 
Our lives in Christ are, are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently from those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And Paul's ministry characterized, is characterized by integrity. He knew that God was watching him and that one day he would give an account for his life and his ministry, the things that he said and the things that he did. 2 Corinthians 2.17 says, You see, we are not like many hucksters. I got very small writing on that back screen and it's hard to see. There we are, way behind. You see, we are not like many hucksters who uh, for personal gain are preaching for personal gain and profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. Paul continually shared in the death of, and resurrection of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4.10 says, Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the, our, the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. We see that Paul glorified in infirmities and was content with weakness, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. The false apostles, they didn't live like this. They're living for themselves, and there's no way they're going to be sacrificing their physical bodies the way that Paul was sacrificing his life in all ways for this furtherance of the gospel. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. Paul's ministry was characterized by suffering. I'm, this is interesting. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought that we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. Now, that's an interesting statement. We thought we were going to die. As a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. There was no choice. They were just about dead. It says that uh, stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on only God, and he raises the dead. And he did rescue us from the mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will, we will, continue, he will continue to rescue us. Are you helping us? You are helping us by praying for us, then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered your prayers for our safety. And you can see the Apostle Paul was a committed man, amazingly committed. As you look at his life and follow him through the scriptures, I just shake my head at the life of Paul and how committed he was to the furtherance of the kingdom at all costs. He never shrunk back. And I could go on and on through the scriptures to illustrate Paul's uh, integrity and his suffering, which is the marks of a true apostle. The apostle Paul wanted the contrast between the false apostles and himself to be clear. So who were these super apostles? They were men who were skilled in oratory speech. They're speaking with authority. They dressed in fine apparel and, people, who were and people were being swayed by their persuasive speeches. It says that they were good speakers living the life, abusing the people and demanding money for their services and taking advantage of the hearers. And this was contrary to the Apostle Paul. 
He was writing to straighten out the lies that were permeating the church for selfish gain. Now when I was studying this, I was imagining these guys flying into, these evangelists flying into Corinth and uh, wearing their expensive top-of-the-line Italian leather sandals, demanding their high wages and abusing the church by their authoritative speech. And then you know, strong voices, flamboyant people. And then I imagined the Apostle Paul limping into uh, Corinth after a beating, tattered clothes, his poor eyesight, and gently speaking to people because he genuinely cared for them. These false apostles were men claiming to be more authoritative than the Apostle Paul and his standing as a true minister of the gospel of Jesus. And in this letter to the Corinthians, we see Paul responding by dealing with those he termed as super apostles. And he called them deceitful workers. Very nice. Thanks, Chris. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And he goes on to say he is not surprised at this because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no, no, it is no wonder his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness and in the end they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Judgment is coming. And praise God, he's given us his word to instruct us, to give us direction, and to lead us through this life. Peter draws a perfect analogy for us and he's, as he's writing to another group of people that he's encouraging who are struggling. And he says to them, he says, stay alert. Watch out because your enemy the devil of the enemy the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. This is what the Apostle Paul was dealing with in Corinth as he's speaking about these super apostles. To really get a grasp on what Paul is dealing with, we need to get a little bit of a picture of what Corinth was like. It's geography, it's ethnic backgrounds, the idols, the multiculturalism. Corinth was one of the chief commercial cities in the Roman Empire. And it is said that Corinth at one time was the richest city in the Roman Empire. Its location made it a natural center of commerce and transport and just a natural drawing for these uh, imposters that would go through. On their way through Corinth, they would just stop in and get what they could get and move on. Paul tells the Corinthians he's indignant, that he's angry that these super apostles have manipulated the gospel to make themselves appear attractive, clever, and eloquent. Paul is also upset because the Corinthians are changing their view of Jesus because of it. He was a witness to their marriage, the marriage of the Corinthians and Jesus. And he could vouch for their pure devotion because he started the church. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18. And now they have slipped all so easily into a different spirit and a different gospel. The Corinthians have been saying that Paul lowered himself by not claiming the pay as a preacher. No doubt the super apostles charged a good rate for their fine sounding speeches, but Paul insists on preaching the gospel without pay. When he was living in Corinth, he earned his own living by leatherworks, and tent making, he received the support from Christians in Macedonia, but he didn't place the burden on the Corinthians themselves. 
And at last, Paul, he's given his verdict here of these super apostles. He says they're false and they're deceitful. They're deceitful imposters. They are convincing in the same way that their master Satan is convincing because they appear as angels of light. We had an opportunity a few years ago to, to uh, go up to Fort Chippewan. Fort Chippewan, north of Edmonton, you, we drove up to, to um, Fort McMurray, and then we jumped on a small plane and flew into Fort Chippewan, which was a, an hour north on this small plane. We had a young adult who grew up in Fort Chippewan, and her mom was organizing this big event, and this... Uh, and, uh, People were coming from all across Canada to Fort Chippewan of the Dene tribe, and they were dealing with the residential school that was on the property at one time in that community, and they were dealing with self-governance. And so we spent a week up there, and all week long, we all heard so many stories about this residential school. It was uh, just a fantastic educational experience. We were all, you know, wandering around, meeting different people, hearing the story about uh, the residential school, and heard so often all about the creator and I would ask them you know who's this creator and they said the creator the one that made all this I said he must have a name but nobody would give me a name they would never give a name of the creator uh, as we were going through this event at the end of the week they had a great big meal that everybody joined in together and at this meal I told the young adults I said just pray and ask the Lord to sit you down with who he wants you to sit down with and I says and when you sit down to eat believe by faith that this is who God has sent you to speak to and so we did that and then I ended up getting sat down with our young adults mom who organized this big event and sitting with her was an MP from Ottawa. He grew up in Fort Chippewan and a friend that he brought. They flew in this great big helicopter and landed it right there in the center of the whole thing, the big event. And so I sat down with those people and uh, our young adult's mom introduced me to, this, to the MP and his friend. And then this MP says to me, he says, tell me, Mark, do you think these people need to be Christianized? And I said to him, I says, well, I don't know about Christianized. I says, but unless these people come to realize that Jesus Christ is the creator, more than likely a lot of the circumstances that they experience in life are not going to change for them. And then he got a little bit indignant about that. And he says, he pointed over where the residential school used to stand. And he says, we tried that here and it didn't work. And I pointed over to the area and I said, no, you didn't try that here. What went on here was not Jesus but went on here, Jesus didn't come to, to tear families apart and to destroy lives. Jesus come to give life and to give life abundantly for the sake of all. And then this guy just really softened up. And we had a, a conversation for over two and a half hours, in like, or two hours. And it was, it was just a, a beautiful time with him. And then we exchanged emails and he sent me emails about stuff that they were doing and stuff that was going on and the process and all of that. And I'm saying all of this to say that, you know, with the Apostle Paul, he's saying that his authority as an apostle, as a true apostle, is to build you up, not to tear you down. And the things that they were pointing at the school and blaming on Christianity wasn't there building them up. It was there tearing them down. And so, the, you know, when we come up into there, we just come up to serve we had no idea what we were walking into. We had no idea of the issues of this big event, of anything that had gone on. I never knew anything about residential schools before this week. And so there was only like seven of us white people in this group of people, this whole community. 
Uh, and so as we were there, God was working way beyond what we ever could have comprehended. And so we went out and just picked up garbage and served them. And it made an impact on that community. It made an impact on us that I'll never forget. Our young adult's mom uh, met with this young adult. She's now married and got four kids and doing well. And her mother told her, she says, those young people have no idea how they impacted our community. See, God was at work. All we did was go up there to serve. We just wanted to help them out. We just wanted to make it. Just, if we could do anything to serve out, we would do whatever we could do. And God knew what he was doing. We were there to build up the community. We went in the name of Jesus. And Paul's boasting here now. Like he, he's talking about these super apostles who are, uh, who are claiming that they have had this amazing spiritual experience. And then we see that Paul does this as well, but he's not as direct. He says he knows a man that has had this experience. We know that really it is the Apostle Paul. I know a man, he says, 14 years before, had an astonishing vision. He was caught up in the third heaven into the immediate presence of God. For a while, he was in paradise. The things he saw and heard are beyond his power and permission to tell. You know, you think this impressed the Corinthians? Of course it did. Because this is what the kind of the thing that they were looking for, the exterior, the things that, you know, we could get all excited about. You know, and then they probably wanted to, more, to know more. They probably tried to pull more out of Paul about this man that he knew. Although they had to take Paul like he was. They were probably hoping and wishing he was a super apostle, but he was poor of pocket with disappointing shortcomings. And although they would like him to be one of these super apostles, he didn't have these big flamboyant things to offer him. He didn't want to. He says he never came with wise and persuasive words because he didn't want to nullify the power of the Spirit. Paul's only glory was that he shared in the sufferings of Christ. Now that's quite a contrast. Paul was demonstrating the power of God. Paul mentions a particular, uh, in particular here that God gave him a thorn in the flesh. And three times Paul had asked, Paul, asked God to take it from him and God said, my grace is sufficient. Paul was demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit healing the sick and seeing the captives set free all the while having this thorn of the flesh that was there by the grace of God. Talk about learning to lean not on your own understanding. We don't know or need to know Paul's, uh, the identity of his thorn, but Paul implored God to take the thorn away, but God refused. Instead, he promised Paul that he would give him the strength to bear it. As a result, the thorn kept Paul humble and dependent on Christ. He's found that when he's weak, he has to rely completely on the strength of Jesus, which is the only strength that really matters. True, these false apostles were claiming an authoritative position that was based merely on a lie. Paul's ministry was based on truth, following the example of Jesus Christ. His life is being poured out for the sake of the people. Where the false prophets lived, lives were being poured out for the sake of themselves and their self-seeking uh, enemy which bears the same fruit, the greed, the malice, and the slander. The enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. 
And he's been at it since the beginning of time. And one day, God is going to put an end to it all. Peter gives some encouraging words when he says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Our lives are to be, poured, are to be being poured out for the sake of those who are seeking the truth. To reach out by the example of love. We might ask, how do I navigate this, and what does this even look like in my circumstances? But James says that if we lack wisdom, if we're not sure what to do, if we're a little bit confused about things in life, it says that we're to ask God for this wisdom, who gives it liberally without finding fault. That means for everybody who asks it, God will give it. This walk of the Holy Spirit, it takes incredible patience. We see that clearly in the word, right from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, the patience to wait and let God be God. Time is a real asset in seeing God move in your life. Scripture says in Psalm 46, 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. We can take comfort in that. The way man thinks is quite different from the way that God thinks. Mankind looks at the external and he judges a character by what he sees. Man looks at the exterior, but God looks at the heart. Man looks at what is, but God sees what will be. That's an amazing thing. The warning is good, and we must pay attention to the warning that Peter gives when he says that the enemy roams around like a roaring lion. He makes a lot of noise, but he's not a threat to the believer because the believer is protected by the power of God. But he roars, roams around like a roaring lion. Let him roar, and let him make his noises. But he's just totally seeking whom he may devour. On May 9th, 1822, Dr. Caesar Milan of Switzerland visited Charlotte Elliott, an embittered invalid of Brighton, England. Because of her poor health, Charlotte had become rude and irritable. And Dr. Milan spoke to her about her spiritual needs and she said, I am miserable, Charlotte said. I want to be saved and I want to come to Jesus, but I don't know how. And, this was, and that's when Milan gave her his famous reply, which later became the basis for this greatest invitational hymn of all times. Why not come just as you are? He asked Charlotte, or he asked, and then Charlotte did come just as she was. And then she later wrote this hymn that's called Just As I Am. And it says, just as I am, there's one verse in it says, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. This was the hymn that was playing the day that I walked up front and surrendered my life to Jesus Christ to make him Lord of my life, way back in 1979. Just as I was, I come to him. See, when I was a young man, for some reason, Karen and I were talking about this this morning. When I was a young man, I had this little gnaw inside of me, this insecurity, thinking that everybody was better than me at everything. Like as we were talking about it, I think it probably came from when I was young. I always hung around with older people all the time. So you're never as good as, as the people that you're hanging around with. They're always older than you. 
I had this gnawing in me that I was never as good as anybody else. And when God was calling my name, there could not have been a better song than Just As You Are. I felt him call me and say, don't worry about the rest of it. He says, Mark, I just want you. In my heart racing that night, I surrendered to his call and I come to the front. And what a difference it made in my life. The excitement of knowing that the God of the universe was speaking to me, was talking right to me that night, was incredible. The peace that came over my being like I'd never experienced before. The security of knowing that my life was in my Heavenly Father's care. You know, where would there be a better place to put our lives? I couldn't think of another, and I still can't think of another. So 42 years later, I'm still living the happily ever after life. There have been moments where we have lost loved ones, and it's been grief, and it's been dark, and it's been hard. There's been ups and there's been downs. There's been failures, there's been successes. In it all, my life has always been, since 1979, in the arms of my father. And what a beautiful thing, when you're really hurting, you're really struggling, that that's where you go. And God is real. And he comes into those broken places when it's so painful and you actually feel his presence in such a powerful way. Jesus says, I'm the truth, I'm the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And God is not a God of confusion. There's one way. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, Jesus says. Jesus gives us a picture, I think, that helps us visualize this just a little bit. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who re remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from the Father, apart from being hooked into who God is, we can do nothing. He says, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask anything, ask for anything you want and it will be granted. As you're hooked onto the vine and the vine's juices are flowing through you, you're connected, you're one, you're going to be asking the desires of the Father and he's going to grant those to you. And when you produce much fruit, he says, you are my true disciples. This brings great joy to the Father. Maybe you are where I was 42 years ago. And your heart is racing because God's hand is on your life right now. Maybe you've been a Christian for a lot of years and you're not producing the fruit that Jesus is talking about here that pleases the Father. Whoever you are, I know that God is speaking to you because he's always speaking. He's always calling. Until he wraps this life up, he's going to be speaking. And every time we say no, and we push him away, our heart gets a little harder, and it gets a little bit harder to hear God calling us the next time. If you've been pushing the Father away, I wanna encourage you to stop pushing him away. 
because that is to your detriment. God is good, God is love, and he's got nothing but good in store for his people. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants all of us to come to repentance. So there's a lot of voices in this world. There's a lot of things we can be watching in social media, we can watch on the news, we can talk to one another about these half-truths, a lot of stuff we get just a little piece of, we don't really know the big, the whole story. And we can argue about things that we really know nothing about. But the bottom line is, Jesus says, if you come to me, you will know the truth. And that's the truth that will set you free. And so I want to encourage us to pray, you to pray with me. And then when you pray with this prayer, when you pray with me, I want you to click on that connect button on that care card that's on the website there. And I want you to send me in a note and tell me that you did. It's important. And I'll even follow up if you ask me to. I'll follow up and we'll have a conversation. And, you know, with whatever you do with what I've said, I challenge you to talk to me about it. Wherever you are, Jesus is calling you by name and he wants your, your life. He says, let go of it all and come to him. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just wrap this up, Father God, with your arms of love in the lives of the people, Lord, that are hearing my voice right now, hearing your Holy Spirit speak to them. Give them the strength, Lord God, to step forward and say, yes, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to surrender my life to you. I want to be about your business in this lifetime. Oh, Father, there's coming a day when you say, enter into thy rest. There's a day when we'll rest. In the meantime, Father God, help us all to be the servants you've called us to be. Give those people the strength that need to come forward and surrender their lives fully to you, Lord. I commit myself to you, and I pray, Lord, you just continue to pour out your spirit within all of us. So, Jesus, come in your name. Amen. God bless you for listening. Click on that care card and any questions about anything about this service that's gone on here today, God bless you. Just don't hesitate to ask. Because if I don't know the answers, I'll find somebody that does. Amen. <laughs>